Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that Blue Spruce Capital is lending on one to four unit fix and flips in multiple states. Contact Blue Spruce Capital by going to the show notes. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and guess who we got in the house? Actually, virtually. I always like to say you're in the house, but you're in your house. It's Markion <laughs> Sitch. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. Uh, oh my gosh, I am so pumped to be with you right now. I can't wait to dive into this and just kind of hopefully open the world of real estate a little bit more to our veteran and military. This is going to be fantastic. So just a little bit about Markion is he got interested in real estate two and a half years ago and he closed on his first house a little over a year ago. And then it wasn't long after he closed on that house. He thought, you know, why not go a little bit bigger? So he bought a 56 unit property in Indiana, Indiana, which is not in his home state. And he found a creative way to do so. That was December of 17. So he's owned it for months and months and months. And it is ready where he's saying, you know what? The next thing I got to do is I got to buy another multifamily. Some of the other things about what Markion does is he is actually active duty himself and he's been doing that for a while. And there's a lot of active duty military that are interested in finding out how can I get some passive income so when I retire, I truly, truly retire. So he started a website quite a while ago called, I think it was last, last March, that called Active Duty Passive Income. And that website can help you find his podcast, which is the Active Duty Passive Income podcast that is geared toward military that are looking for passive income. And he's put out blogs and other things like this. He already has over a thousand downloads for his house hacking um, book, his ebook. And then finally, he talks mostly about the VA loan, the power of the VA loan, which is what I'm excited to really get into today is the power of the VA loan. Something that we've never talked about yet on the podcast is the things that this, this specific loan can allow you to do if you qualify for it. So today, if you're active duty, it is your duty to actively forward this podcast episode on to another person because we want to make sure that we're helping the people that will help the most. So before we get into it, Markian, I just want to say thanks for your service and let's, let's learn a little bit more about you. What did I miss and what made you two and a half years ago start getting interested in real estate? Thank you. Thank you for your support. Um, so what got me into it? Honestly, it's, I'm not going to go too far back into it, but I do want to paint a little bit of a picture. I am a third generation immigrant. So I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Ukrainian. I, so my parents were already U.S. citizens because their parents moved over post-World War II and so on and so forth. But serendipitously, I ended up back in Ukraine and I was born there actually and lived there for about 15 years uh, because my parents went back. My dad found a job there because he was a nuclear engineer at Chernobyl and all this kind of stuff. And I saw a huge contrast between what Ukraine had for its people and then what America had. I loved going to America all every summer and visiting my grandparents and seeing roller coasters. It was just this, America was this wonderland to me. And when I, when I came here during high school, I just, I wanted, I wanted it all. I wanted to figure out what America was. I wanted to figure out why, why the finances worked the way, why were people so much wealthier, just lived better, it seemed like, than in Ukraine and in other countries I saw in Europe. And I, it kind of, I think that just planted a seed in my mind. And so 
after the Naval Academy, I commissioned as a Marine Corps officer and I'm going through flight school and I, we had an awesome, awesome failed attempt at creating an app. And I was like, you know what? I need to figure something out that's more passive. I need to figure out a way to, to build my net worth, to grow my passive income while I'm focusing primarily on my military occupation. You know, it's, it's it, the military, I don't want anybody to think that our website is about like, hey, how to like make money on the side and, you know, get better at, you know, making money in America and not worry about the military anymore. No, this is for the people that, that love the military, love America, love what it provides them and want to keep that their primary focus, uh, at least for the time being, because we're all going to retire out of the military eventually. And, and that, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show people that it's possible. You can be an active duty or a veteran, reservist, retired, a spouse, a family member, and, and use the VA loan to get your foot in the door into real estate. Awesome. All right. So with that said, let's start there. How do you use the VA loan? What are the advantages and how does it help somebody? So, I mean, the, the big buzzword is 0% down, right? Like you can, you can go anywhere in America and you can buy a primary residence for 0% down. In fact, you can actually end up making some money on the closing. In fact, you can probably wrap in a good amount of renovation costs. In fact, you can even get up to four units. Oh, and by the way, maybe even an office on the side. You can do all of that with the VA loan with 0% down. The VA loan allows, it's crazy, it'll actually, it'll allow the seller to give you 4% of the purchase price back. You can do all sorts of creative things. It's really, really cool. And it, it, it's a tool that is, I think, hugely underutilized. So here's the idea. Like you're asking me, how do you get your foot in the door? Everybody's worried about the market crash. Everybody's thinking like, you know, I, I don't want to get my foot in the door. I'm afraid about getting burned. It's, you know, nine years into a seven year cycle. The idea is to buy smartly. Buy something that you know that you, when you turn around, you know you can rent it out and it's going to at least cover all the expenses, hopefully cash flow significantly. So the, when you move to your next duty station, you can rinse and repeat and do that again. And every single duty station do that. And the, people are like, well, I thought I could only have one VA loan. Yes, if it's active, but guess what? You can actually refinance that loan, make it a conventional loan, and then get another one. In fact, you can do this every year. So if you're at a duty station for four years, if you're super motivated and uh, you, you want to move four times, sure, you can do it four times. Um, and then another little known fact, you can actually have two loans, VA loans at the same time. If you were in a duty station that um, basically there's a limit. I'm not going to get into too far in details. There's a limit to how big the loan can be. If you didn't hit your limit at one duty station, you can then use it to um, help you out with the next loan. So the, po the point is, 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 is there's, you can get into real estate by, by thinking about your property as a future rental and not paying any money down, using some sweat equity, maybe making it appreciate a little bit. And main thing is don't sell it. Keep it as a, keep it as an investment, keep it for, you know, create that j legacy wealth and, and use that as a foot in the door to buy more rental properties down the road. Love it. Okay. So I have a question. Can you have two VA loans out at one time and an FHA loan out at the same time? Uh, I've never, nobody's ever asked me that. I don't believe so. I think since they're, uh, they're, they're both, they're both government backed vehicles. I, 
Honestly, as long as you don't hit the, the conforming loan limit on one of them, maybe. That is a very creative thought. Um, I know just recently we had a member ask if he can refinance into an FHA. I don't see why not. Uh, I have never done that. Um, what I would say is one, one way that you can do it is instead of like if you want to refinance and you don't think you have 20% equity, you can refinance into a 5% loan. Uh, you might have to pay some PMI. But it's, I mean, it's okay if, if you, if the numbers work out, if you're, if your rent's paying all the expenses, it's an asset. So I'm sorry, as far as your, uh, your question, I do not know off the top of my head, I will get back to you. And if uh, I will make a point about it on our website to figure that out. Yeah. Very, very interesting um, information. So knowing that this is such a powerful vehicle and you've been using it, can you explain why you also decided to get into such a 56 unit out of state? Um, is that just like extra on top of it? Would you suggest other people do the VAs as much as possible and uh, other things on the side if they can? What, what's kind of your personal philosophy on that? Yeah, so I, I think VA loans are, de are a definite must if you're the, okay, I'm, I'm not going to say must, but I think it's a great way to passively do this. You don't have to go crazy and get a 56 unit. You don't even have to buy out of state rental properties. If you just continue buying you know, pieces of America, as you move around, your, your wealth is going to go up. I forgot what the statistic was. I think uh, on average, the homeowners are 67% more wealthy than those that are not homeowners. And, it, and don't quote me on that, but the point is to show you that just owning a home and, and not thinking about it as, as just this big liability and planning ahead of making it an asset, like buying it with the, it being a rental property in mind will pay dividends, dividends down the road because real estate is a waiting game. If you wait long enough, there's going to be a lot of equity in that thing as long as you, you do your job and you're, you're taking care of it. Now, as far as the 56 unit, why did I get into that? Honestly, I just wanted to scale quicker. I wanted to, I, I realized the power of the cap rate and how money works with the uh, VR triangle, whatever you want to call it. Like the fact that, you know, what's the ballpark number that you can go, raise your rents by 10% and all of a sudden you've doubled your equity, you know, and you can refinance and move on to the next one. Like that's insane to me that, um, that, that the, as soon as I learned that a property was not worth as much as the property next to it, even if they were identical, as soon as I learned that it was all based on its operations, that's when I was like, well, I think that's something I'd be good at, or that's something I want to tackle. That's a challenge that, I want to accept, you know what I mean? Like I, I wanted to get into that. And um, my parents, uh, I, you know, I didn't have quite enough equity for a 56 unit, but my parents lived in Ohio and I was like, Hey guys, you know, you're, you're not quite at retirement age, but you still have three kids in the house. Um, like, do you really want to deplete your resources on, on college? Do you really want to like, you know, bank on your 401k five years down the road? and then just eat it away slowly. Uh, you have seven children. We're all going to have grandchildren. Don't you want to spoil them a little bit? I was like, let's focus on cash flow. Let's try to get you guys into the cash, cash flow mindset. Now, my dad is super, super traditional. I don't think my parents have ever done anything like this. They've always paid every single house down completely as soon as they could. So I, but that was the motivation. was like, I wanted to scale my own investments quicker, but I also wanted to double up and and get them to the finish line of, of comfortably retiring and having the retirement I imagine them having, what I think they deserve. And so I was like, hey, let's 
focus on cash flow. Let, 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 let that be the game. And so my parents were on the ground. I was here in California and they just started looking at properties one after another, meeting brokers. I, I, I did most of the initial broker relations. I did the analysis and my parents were just boots on the ground, checking it out, you know, shaking hands, seeing the units, so on and so forth. Um, we, we made a lot of mistakes. We got a lot, a lot of, a lot of properties didn't work out. We wasted a lot of money until we finally closed on this one. And, um, you know, I kind of went through the school of hard knocks, but you know, it, I think it's well worth it. Okay, perfect. Well, I have a couple questions from what you just said. So the first one is just, can you tell us a story of how you lost a lot of money? You wasted a lot of money by doing your analysis with some of these other properties. Can you start there? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson we learned uh, was how careful you have to be with environmental. Um, so what we ended up spending, wasting, getting taught on, whatever you want to call it, with the money that we, that we lost was uh, through legal fees. We, we, uh, at one point, we were under contract on like our third or fourth property that we wanted. And, um, we were under contract for six months. We had the absolute worst seller on the planet earth. Uh, their agent was just not communicative, absolutely rude. And we, we knew that there was something like a potential of environmental going on in the area due to historical and some of the city was telling us about it. And they, and we knew that they were planning on redoing some of the environmental, uh, areas around our property. They wanted to build a park and they couldn't because they needed to change the soil. And But we kind of were like, well, you know what? The, the, the last inspection showed good, so we're fine. Well, the lender, once we were already under contract and we were already deep into this, the lender wanted us to do another inspection. And more and more started surfacing. I know more about drilling than I ever wanted to know. Um, I mean, we had to do two phase twos separately. Somehow we convinced the, this terrible seller that it was their responsibility uh, to do the second one. Um, honestly, it should have been them doing both of them, but we, we just, this property was so amazing that like in terms of like the value add that we just, we were willing to kind of work for it. Um, long story short, like $20,000 later in legal fees, you know, we, we, we had to drop the contract because we found out that after two separate phase twos, they were, they were dug at different depths. We found out that the entire foundation was just terrible. Like, like five different heavy metals, like, I mean, lead, arsenic, you name it. Like things were just terrible. And we were like, you know what, we can't keep killing ourselves anymore. Um, that was a hard thing to bounce back from, but, um, Wow, what a learning experience. We are a lot more careful with environmental. It's not to be said it can't be done. I know people that thrive on that. They find those things and they fix them up. They know all the legal stuff, uh, but that's definitely not us. And it was definitely not a good thing for me to be a part of when I was trying to like focus on flying and being in the military. It was just stressing me out, you know? Yeah, so very, very interesting. Will you do me one favor? Could you kind of explain the difference between, well, environmental studies phase one and phase two so that we understand yeah for sure so there's actually i'm not an expert but from what i've learned there's three phases the first phase is a historical uh kind of um investigation so an environmental an accredited environmental company they will take a look at all the historical data and they will determine 
whether a phase two is required. Typically speaking, it's not required. Certain states like Ohio actually have uh, heightened levels of arsenic everywhere, and that's just accepted. Um, so, for example, uh, w with ours, they, I think they took a second look just because somebody in the city probably tapped them on the shoulder like look just north we're trying to build a park and we're having issues you guys should probably look into doing a phase two and they said indeed there's some historical evidence that maybe we're not doing the due diligence on the environmental here the last couple inspectors didn't really look too deep into the investigation let's take it a step further and so they let the lender know and basically it was required for us to get a loan that we do a phase two so a phase two is when they actually do drilling. Um, and that's what, there's various, various different kinds. And, there, and it all depends on the recommendation brought forth from the, um, from the phase one. So if they say, hey, you probably just need to do a surface level, like maybe two, three, four feet below, they'll do that. Some of them will require 10 feet below and they'll actually need you to tap into the dwell, into, to the, into the wells, into the water and see what's in the water. Uh, and take samples of that there's and and then sometimes when they drill down they take samples at various levels um it's insane like i i didn't know any about anything about this and after that property goodness like uh, you know and then the phase three i think is like a very hyper specific like they're they're doing something they're uh, looking for one specific thing and it's um i, I can't speak too much about it but it's even more in depth uh, but yeah, point is it was, it was a pretty, uh, damning process. Like when they did two phase twos, two different depths, two different companies, it was just, you know, hmm. uh, we couldn't argue with it. So how much was the phase one? How, how much did that cost you? Um, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm, but I'm pretty sure that's a, at least with ours, that was kind of like a no brainer that had to happen. I think it was a couple thousand dollars. Uh, that's just part of the due diligence. You got to do an environmental. Um, and what that, about that phase twos? What yeah, about the two phase twos? How much was, what did that run? One of them was about 11,000. The other one was about 8,000. Okay. So wow. yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for going over that. And then another question I had is that you said that your parents were on the ground, right? Yeah, they, so, they were in Ohio. Yeah. So that's my question is the property was that in that's in Indiana, right? So, so sorry, this was one of the ones before we got the Indiana property. This one was okay. in Ohio. So we, we didn't end up closing on that one. The Indiana pro property was a lot easier to close on in retrospect compared to that one. Uh, my parents at the time did live two hours east of Columbus, and this was in an area of Columbus uh, that we were looking at that property particularly. Okay, great. Thank you. And the next question is, you said that you did all the deal analysis for the properties that you were looking at. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. Where did, where did you learn how to analyze these and underwrite these bigger deals? Honestly, it was a lot of, at first it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and it was a lot of reading. It's just, and what, what got my mind right was podcasts, podcasts like yours, bigger pockets, uh, Rod Cleef's uh, lifetime cash flow podcast. I, I just understood what we were looking for and it wasn't really like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll look for this specifically, or I, I had like a system in my mind. It was just through osmosis, listening to enough people mentioning very hundreds, hundreds of issues or 
you know, reading between the lines after just like soaking that in, that's when I just, you know, I, I could just look at it and all of a sudden it just made sense. It was like, okay, why was, you know, whoa, the, the, you know, the, the water's fluctuating from month to month. What could that reason be? Well, well, sometimes they, they don't get billed until later. So it gets carried over, but, or maybe there was a leak, you know, like it could be a simple answer. It could be, and I wouldn't know to look for that unless I heard hundreds of people talking about it. So that's just one example. Right. But that helped me kind of, you know, run the numbers and see if it made sense. Okay. And how, so for this question works well for your large multifamily and it works extremely well when we are talking about all of these VA loans, when we're, we're suggesting that somebody purchase a piece of property at every location that they go to. And that question is, how do you manage these properties from far away? Is that a concern? And what's your best way to kind of help the other military folks who are purchasing the property to feel more comfortable with the management portion? Yeah, so I, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with management. Um, I've seen amazing reporting where it's like I get an email with an explanation and the spreadsheet and everything just jives perfectly. I've seen absolutely no communication and just expenses being taken. I've also seen spreadsheets that are so horrendous for our 56 unit, um, which is why we're changing management. I've decided that the best way for military to stay on top of it is to find a good blend of people that know the area and people that are very savvy with technology. Because when you're moving around the world, when you're moving around the country, you want to have access to your information, to your books, to what's going on. You want it to be a very, very responsive and tech-savvy company. So I, we don't manage any of our own properties. It's all property management. Um, and right, right now, we're learning that we're not, um, we don't work well with our property management um, that currently. And so I uh, hope they're not listening to this. <laughs> but, but yeah, so the, the point is, is, is we realized we needed the technology. It's the only way for us to feel comfortable enough. And obviously there's the human piece. Obviously they need to know the area. That is a given. But if they don't, like I, I've heard both sides of the story, like, oh, it could just be a, you know, maybe, maybe they're more grassroots type people. And they, but, but no, you're not, military typically somewhat control freaks. We wanna have access to the information. Um, so the technology is a must. Great. A lot of good info. And I have one last question before we get into the final five. What's your job with the military? So I was actually, I'm in transition right now. I was a, a helicopter pilot, a CH-53 Echo pilot here in Miramar, San Diego. Um, and my whole life prior to becoming a pilot, I really wanted to do cyber or intelligence because I speak Russian and Ukrainian and there was never really an option to do that. Um, and now that is potentially an option. I don't know yet. I'll, I have to wait a couple more weeks. I'm basically transitioning jobs. I'm what's called redesignating or potentially laterally moving to a different job right now. So your father, he was, uh, he is a nuclear and nuclear engineer. And what does, did you ever take engineering when you were growing up just because your dad kind of talked you into it or what? Uh, so I had to because at the Naval Academy, you absolutely have to take like thermodynamics and several uh, like very high math classes. Just the the basics of, of engineering is an absolute must. But I was actually a computer science and IT guy, which is why it 
kind of made it easier for me to build the website and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, engineering was honestly never quite my thing. I, I, I don't know. It was always my dad's thing. We always laughed about it. That was his. I was more of a computer guy. Um, he, he's a very large brain in the engineering world. He loves teaching. Um, my parents helped me home, homeschool me in that. And so all my, my, all my math skills did come from his engineering brain. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. So we're going to get into the final five, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Adam Adams cool. has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555-888. Text meetup to 555-888. It's time to get serious about something. And one thing I'm passionate about is trying to stop the injustice of sex trafficking. The statistics are staggering. Right now, over a million young boys and young girls are trapped in the commercial sex industry around the world. Well, what I'm excited to share with you today is that my friends at Destiny Rescue exist to ensure that every child can lay his or her head on a pillow at night and sleep, not work. I encourage you to take a moment to learn how you can join the fight by visiting destinyrescue.org. Markion, what is the most creative deal you ever did? I'm going to go back to the 56 unit with my parents because I think creativity of working with your parents and uh, working through the struggles of it being family and finances is a creative thing in and of itself. Uh, we really had to figure out what they wanted, what their goals were, and we had to structure um, the family entities. And, you know, so we have a holding company, the operating company, and I kind of structured it in a way to help us grow down the road because I knew whenever the day came that I was going to get out of the military, I was going to try to uh, continue growing that family uh, real estate investing company. And so the reason why I was creative is because I was remote. I provided kind of the analysis and the knowledge like away from the property. My, my dad was kind of playing hardball sometimes with the, with the realtors and kind of like he was the money guy and he, he knew what he wanted and he knew the returns. And my mom was, uh, the soft spoke like people person meeting the broker and the realtor or sorry, the the loan broker and the actual broker of the property in person. So it was this interesting combination and we, you know, we decided to partner uh, 33%, you know, for each of us. And that's just how we're going to build our family, you know, company. Uh, so that was creative just because of me being long distance, my parents doing, playing their own individual roles and uh, us making it happen. All right. What's a book you recommend? Yeah. So Goodness, I'm not gonna say I'm not I'm not gonna say rich dad poor dad. I will say uh, uh, this this is one that I want to throw out there is four hour work week, and the reason why is because it uh, uh, it it continued that epiphany of being able to do things passively, and I I'm a, I'm afraid to say that word too much because I think it's kind of a misnomer, and people think that you don't have to work for that passive income. You absolutely have to work for the passive income, but it taught me how to think about creating processes and how to um, create even relationships remotely and being able to manage a company remotely. And um, yeah, so Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Let me ask you, why did you say you're not going to say rich dad, pork dad, if you could just be specific on why you didn't say that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I think 
that everybody says we should board at every single time I listen to a podcast. And I love it because it's absolutely the reason why I got into real estate. Um, it is, it is a, it is an epiphany moment in a book. Like the whole book will just blow your mind and you'll realize, wow, I'm thinking about finances the wrong way. So, so the only reason you didn't say it is because everybody else says it. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Sorry. Where, you me. <laughs> where were you five years ago? Five years ago, I was running around with an M16 in the woods of Quantico, Virginia, training to be a Marine. <laughs> where will you be five years from today? Five years from today, um, I can't say as far as my military service. I don't know whether I'm going to be in, uh, end up staying in that long or not. Um, but as far as real estate, I plan on being financially free based off of everything I'm doing with my parents. We ha I have a pretty uh, set goal of what I want them to attain, what I want myself to attain with what we're doing. And um, so my goal is financial freedom by within five years. That first deal, I don't know why I forgot to ask you this, on uh, that first multifamily, the 56 unit, how did you fund it? Did you use any form of syndication or was it all family? It was all family. So my dad, like I said, he was a very conservative, like financially minded person. So um, he, he was just squirreling away money all his life. And it was fantastic because we have seven kids and he knew I needed to, he started growing these 529s for them. And I was, and I kind of like, what I told him was, hey, first of all, they may or may not need the 529s, the, the younger ones. If they do, wouldn't you rather just pay it off with the cash flow? You know what I mean? Like I, that was my thought was like, why not work on growing the entire family, like equity and, and company and generating more cash flow vice just having this pocket of money that's untouchable, that's just going to get spent on college and then disappear afterwards. And that was kind of the thought process there. And so we pulled out the 529s. We also needed a little bit of a, a HELOC on their primary residence and to make it all happen. But it was all it was all their money um, and no outside investors. Great. How do you give back? I give back through our community. Um, I really, really can't get enough of our our community. I love teaching military and veterans what I do. I love just showing them the opportunities of what our team has done. Our team has done everything from syndications to burring to to whatever all across the board of real estate. And so I want to just highlight that. That's the whole point of our website, our community. And so the way I give back is I try to make that as presentable, as reachable, and as big in their eyes as possible so that everybody learns. I'm grateful that you have been so generous with your information with your own audience and, and with our audience today. Thank you so much for taking the time out. If somebody wants to find you, reach out to you, just remind us here at the end of the podcast, how do they reach you? How do they find you? Yeah, so all of my contact information is on our website. That is kind of the hub for my information, activedutypassiveincome.com. Um, I also have an Instagram, which is my first name, Markion, if you want to reach me that way. And if you drop on our Facebook, also just Google Active Duty Passive Income. Um, if you hit the message button, it'll probably be me. So uh, those are probably the best ways. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care, guys. Thank you. Until next time, think outside the box. If you love this content, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. 
As a reminder, any investment opportunities mentioned on this show are for accredited investors only. I'm ready to have that conversation with you. It's pretty easy to set up. There's a link to my online calendar available for you in the show notes. Scroll down now and pick a time on there that works best for both of us. Until next time, think outside the box.